Let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word. These are powerful words, Lord, in the book of Isaiah. Powerful chapters, powerful scripture. Way over my head in terms of doing justice to it. But I I just pray you'd help me, Lord. And I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts. We would see who you are. See how we're living. See what you call us to do. And that we would all meet you in these chapters today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And if, if you need a Bible, we'd like to each have a copy of the Bible you can, can uh, hold open in front of you and study this passage with. So, go ahead and raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. Don't be bashful, raise your hand real high. Uh, Isaiah 1 is on page 566 in the Bibles we're passing out. So I wanted to start off asking the question, why do we study uh, a, a book that was written 2,700 years ago? Okay, it's kind of like, you know, you've got to blow the dust off of it. You know, why, why do we do that? And I just want to share two reasons with you. There's lots of reasons, but let me give you two. One is because the author of this book, uh, Isaiah, was an Old Testament prophet. And this is huge. Old Testament prophets were like New Testament Apostles, in that they were specially chosen and called by God and gifted by God to receive truth directly from Him, which when they spoke it and they wrote it, was the actual words of God. So this is what we have before us. Isaiah was a prophet. What he speaks and writes, what he writes in this book was the actual words of God. Now we know a lot of other things about Isaiah besides that he was a prophet. Um, we know that he was married with a family. You'll pick that up in the first uh, 11 chapters. We know that he lived in Jerusalem about 700 B.C. And we, we might know how he died if Jewish tradition is right. This isn't in the Bible, but it's in some of the literature that was written before Jesus came. Jewish tradition says that, it's kind of, kind of uh, gruesome a little bit, but the way he died was that King Manasseh of Judah, because he was so uh, offended by Isaiah's prophesying about his sin and the people's sin, he had um, Isaiah sawn in two. That's, that's, that's Jewish tradition, which may be the case. That may be what Hebrews 11 is referring to when it, when it mentions that. But the most important thing about Isaiah is that he was a prophet, which means that, I mean, just hold your Bible up, these words that you're reading are the very words of God. God, your creator, who's always been, who has all power, the words that you're reading are his very words. So that's one reason we should read this book. Now, second reason is, you might wonder, well, that's Old Testament. Why read it today? Romans 15, 3, Paul says that whatever was written in the Old Testament was written for our instruction, New Testament believers, so that through the instruction of the Old Testament, we would receive three things. Endurance, encouragement, and hope. So God had Isaiah write these words for us New Testament believers so that through them we'd receive endurance, encouragement, and hope. Anybody here today who would like some endurance and encouragement and hope? Okay, just a few. All right. The rest of you, you will in the next couple hours or days. And so that's why we want to study this book. That's why this 2,700-year-old book is pertinent and vital for us 
today. Now, when you start reading Isaiah, there's three, kind of, you'll see it breaks down into three sections. Chapters 1 through 39 um, is God's words to Isaiah about the people at that time, at the time that Isaiah lived, about 700 B.C., chapters 1 through 39. Chapter 40 through 55 is about Israel 200 years in the future, It's God's words to Isaiah, which he gave him at that time, but it's for the people living 200 years in the future during the exile. Okay? And then chapters 56 through 66 has to do with God's people after the exile going on into eternity. So three sections, 1 through 39, 40 through 55, and 56 through 66. So in 1 through 39, he's talking, giving Isaiah God's words for the people living at that time, 700 B.C. And when you read these chapters... If you've been reading these chapters this week, I hope you have been, you'll see that God's main word to Israel at that time is, stop your sinning. Stop your sinning. And so I want us to ask the question, how is Israel sinning against God? And just look through. I, I saw five ways in these first two chapters that I want to mention. But and here's how I want us to be thinking about this as we look at these five ways. God had Isaiah write about Israel's sin, not so that we could be down on Israel, but so that we could see how we sin as well. Okay? We're sinners too. I am, you are. And so we need to see the ways that Israel sinned so that we can open up our hearts and say, God, show us how are we sinning. It's kind of like, let these chapters be an MRI, okay? Which the doctor might say, you know, we, we found a malignant tumor, Okay, which would be bad news. But then he will say, because he's the great physician, God, he'll say, but it's operable. I've got good news. And so let, let this book just shine on your light as we look through these five areas of sin and ask the Holy Spirit right now, show me any areas of my sin that I'm not aware of. Yes, it's malignant, but it's operable through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so let's have that in our minds as we look at these five ways that Israel sinned. First of all, They were forsaking and despising the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Okay, now notice that phrase, the Holy One of Israel. Underline that in your Bible. This is a phrase that Isaiah uses 25 times in his book. It's one of his favorite descriptions of God. It's, it's used elsewhere in the Bible, but only six times, all through the Old Testament. 25 times in Isaiah, six times anywhere else. It's one of Isaiah's favorite descriptions of God. So what does it mean? That God's the Holy One of Israel. I want, I want you to get a feel for this so that every time you read this in Isaiah, you'll be thinking, whoa. Here's what it means. We all have a tendency to see God as one of many important things in our lives. There's lots of important things in our lives. Okay, so like we've got finances, and we've got family, and we've got job, and we've got God, and we've got sex, and we've got my mountain bike riding. We've got Okay, so there's lots of important things in our lives, and we can make God one of many important things in our lives. The word holy says a big no to that. Because holy means set apart. And when it's applied to God, it means that his perfections 
who he is, his sheer godness makes him infinitely more important than anything else. Okay? Let me show you what I mean here. Take God's power, for example. God's powerful. Okay, well, isn't, there's lots of power. I mean, like, you know, President Obama's got power, and the Giants had some power last night, you know, and, and earthquakes have power. Yes, they do, but see, God has all power. All of it. There's no power anywhere that's not God's power and that's under God's authority. So anything else that has power only has power because God has allowed it to have power for a short period of time. So do you see when it comes to power, God's power, which is absolute and all power, makes him infinitely more important than any other powers that there are. Do you see that? Infinitely more important. Or take take knowledge. I thought about this. God um, always knows everything, past, present, and future, consciously, all the time. Right? He always knows everything, consciously, all the time. You might think, well, you know, there's like Einstein, and there's Copernicus, and there's, you know, Crick and Watson, and people that are a whole lot smarter than me, and they got a lot of knowledge too. Yes, but Understand, their knowledge, as significant as it might be compared to mine, is like a tiny drop compared to the massive oceans of God's knowledge. So when it just comes to the category of knowledge, God is infinitely more important than everything else that has knowledge. So you've got power, you've got knowledge, we could talk about love and goodness, justice, righteousness, sovereignty, The list just goes on and on and on. God in his sheer godness is infinitely superior, infinitely greater, infinitely important than anything else that there is. It's kind of like this. Let's say that in your life, your your life, everything else is kind of like gravel. Like, I'm not sure exactly how to describe this. So you've been living with with gravel and all of a sudden God hands you a 100,000 carat diamond himself okay that's god in comparison to everything else knowing god means that you can experience cherish treasure a 100,000 carat diamond in comparison to a gravel pit and that's what god created you to do is to know him he he created you so that you could have the joy of knowing him worshiping him trusting him fellowshipping with him, talking with him, submitting to him, obeying him, magnifying him. He created Israel for that. He created you for that. But what did Israel do? As we saw in verse 4, Israel has forsaken the Lord and has despised the Holy One of Israel. And so have we. Even this last week, we've all at times this last week turned our backs on God and pursued other things. We've turned our backs on, on the, the security and the satisfaction we could have in God. And we've sought our security and satisfaction in money and in possessions, right? In impressing other people, in pornography, in lust, in harboring bitterness against other people. Right? The list just goes on and on and on. We, we've all, even this last week, I know I have, we've turned from the treasure, the, the 100,000 carat diamond that God is, and we've, we've pursued the, 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 the gravel 
of seeking our security and satisfaction in other things. So just let this like be a spiritual MRI over you. What have you turned from God to pursue? What have you let cause you to turn your back on God? So you're seeking your security in that and your satisfaction in that. That's the first sin. So just let, let the Holy Spirit cause us to be an MRI over your heart. God wants to show that to you because it's malignant and because it's operable. And he wants to help you with it. He wants to deal with it today. Second sin of Israel. They, they piled up money and neglected the needy. See, when, when you turn from God as your security and your all-satisfying treasure, when you turn from God, you're going to seek your security and satisfaction in something else. And money is one of the more convenient things, if you can get your, get your hands on some. But see, if you're seeking your security and satisfaction in money, well, hang on, I'll get to that point. Notice that Israel did this, chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7, their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. So they were seeking their security and satisfaction in money. And when you do that, you're going to want to keep getting because there's never enough to make you really feel secure because some other scenario could come up. So you're going to keep getting and you're going to hold what you have, which means you will neglect the poor, the needy, the orphan, the fatherless, the widow, which is what they did. Chapter 1, verse 23. Look at what Isaiah says. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. And the widow's cause does not come to them. So see, they're neglecting the poor because they want to hold on to their money because that's where they're finding their security and their satisfaction. So, so do we do that? I, I read a statistic recently. Many of you have probably heard this, but yesterday 26,500 children died. Yesterday and Friday 26,500 children died. And today, 26,500 children will die. Every day, every single day, 26,500 children die of poverty-related issues. It's just reality. Now, it's not like you can totally solve that problem, but has, has the reality of poverty stirred your heart to, to do something financially about it? Or are, are we holding to money as our security and satisfaction? See, the beautiful thing is when, when God is your security and satisfaction, you're full and you're secured by the infinite God who has all power and who loves you. And so you're free to give then to the poor. And so I just want to challenge you. Has there been any care or concern for the poor in, in terms of your finances? If not, there's something desperately wrong. Okay, And I'm, I'm being challenged by this too. In fact, I just want to mention... End of November, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're going to do again this year what we've done before, and we're going to devote the whole offering to the poor in two ways. One, we're going to, half of the offering, just whatever comes in, will go to City Team, which is a very Christ-centered, church-based ministry here in San Jose, which helps the poor here. So there's a local dimension. And then the other half we're going to give away to Morocco because there's church planting there that's, doing, that's, that's being, uh, building earthquake-damaged homes for orphans and for widows there and for people that are in need. But let me just challenge you. Search your heart. Do I have security and satisfaction tied up in money so that I'm, I'm, I'm keeping or is my security and satisfaction in the Lord? So when I hear about poor people, my heart wants to give and I do something about it. Okay. Third thing. They murdered people. 
that's kind of drastic. We're not playing involved, I hope not anyway, with, with murdering, okay? Um, but see, here's how it works. If your satisfaction and security is found in anything besides God, people can threaten that. Right? People can't threaten God as your security and satisfaction. But if you have your security and satisfaction to anything other than God, people can't threaten that. And when people threaten your security and satisfaction, things can get ugly. Right? In their case, it became murder. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 21. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Okay, maybe we don't murder, but, but we, we can slander, right? If somebody's threatened your security or satisfaction, you can speak against them to somebody else. We can bear grudges and kind of nurture anger towards that person. We can feel envy and, and be bitter and not forgive. So what are some ways that on the, on the relational level, you're not murdering, but what are some ways that you are seeking to harm, unforgiving, being angry, nurturing grudges, slandering against people. Let, let the MRI just shine on that. It shows that you're, you've turned from God and your heart's satisfaction and security is not in Him. Fourth, they bowed down to idols. Uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. See, we're always bowing down to something. Every human being, there's always something that we're bowing down to. Either God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ or to an idol. So this last week, I've always either been bowing down before Jesus Christ or I've been bowing down to an idol. And how can I tell what I'm bowing down to? Here's the questions I ask myself. I would encourage you to ask these questions. Two questions. One is, uh, what do you desire the most right now? What do you want the most? Second question, just flip side, what do you fear losing the most? What do you desire the most at any point in time? What do you fear losing the most at any point in time? Whatever that is, oh, one other question. What does your mind go to when it's just kind of a neutral? You, you, you like to end up thinking about that. Your, your mind goes there. Three different questions. That'll show you what, what you're bowing down to. That is your God at that point in time. Okay? So what's your idols? What, what are your idols? We, we've, I've had idols this past week. Okay, we all have. All right? Let the Lord show you what they are. Okay, so Israel, they know that they're wrong in these things that they're doing, these, these first four sins. They knew they were wrong, but they sinned in a fifth way by trying to, trying to make up for their wrong. They tried to make up for their sin by going to church. Okay, look at verses 13 and 14. Bring no more vain offerings. In, this is God speaking. Bring no more vain offerings. Stop the animal offerings, the sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of, of bearing them. Why wouldn't God want the sacrifices and why wouldn't he want them to gather on the Sabbath? It's because they were bringing the sacrifices and they were gathering to, on, on the Sabbath thinking that I've got this area of sin in my life. I'm not going to change. Maybe I can make up for it by going to church. 
Okay? Now, that's kind of common today, though, too, isn't it? And so just ask yourself honestly, are, are any of you here today because you might think, gosh, I really lost my patience with my, my kids yesterday. Man, okay, oh, good, tomorrow's Sunday. I'm going to go to church. And then, like, that'll be okay then, like, right? Because like, I, I did something bad, but now I'm doing something good, and so then it's okay, right? God says, don't, don't come. He hates that. He hates that. There, there is a way to deal with your impatience and to respond to God with it, but that's, it's not by making up for it by doing something spiritual or religious. Okay, so, so here's five areas in these first two chapters of Israel's sin that Isaiah, God wants Isaiah to speak to them. And God wants us to notice it because he wants us to search our hearts. Okay, so here's, here's what the Lord hit me with. because I, I want to just be like you. So Lord, shine your MRI upon me. And what the Lord showed me this week, I mean, I, I've seen it before, but even more clearly, is I have an idol of wanting to be seen as being just like a great pastor, really successful, who doesn't forget things, you know, okay? And, uh, and it just, some circumstances, some conversations just, just brought it clearly to my mind, just how much, and that's a really dangerous thing, right? Because, I mean, there's, there's you know, I mean, isn't that tragic that you could take being a pastor and make it into an idol to try to, anyway, it's, it's an ugly thing. So that's what the Lord's shown me. So, so I just want to, fair is fair, I've got to apply this to me. So what's he showing you? So what, what's he dealing with here in your own heart? Because none of us are perfect, none of us are sinless, and so if you're opening your heart up to the Lord, he's showing you, here's an area in which I've forsaken God. Here's something I've turned to for my security and my satisfaction besides him. Here's some way in which I've, because I've got my security in money, I'm neglecting the poor, or because somebody's threatened my well-being because it's not in God, I'm, 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 I'm harming them, slandering them, gossiping against them, hurting them in some way. Here's some idol I'm bowing down to, or here's some way because I'm going to, re- going to church to try to make up for it. Are you in touch with an area of sin that God's like shining his MRI on right now? Are we? I'm not going to make you share it out loud, but are we? Okay, if you're not, I'm not going to call on you to fess up, all right? Although what Faith said is really, really helpful. So you might want to, not, not publicly, but somebody in your home group would be really helpful to do, to confess to them. Okay, so, so that's the sin that Israel was dealing with. Those are the sins that we deal with. And so what does God call Israel to do? See, God does not just show us our sin because so he wants us just to feel bad. Okay, do you feel bad? Good, see ya. God wants us to see our sin because he wants to deal with it. And look at what God calls Israel to do in 16 and 17, chapter 1. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Isn't that amazing? In other words, Stop. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, the orphans. Plead the widow's cause. This is radical stuff. See, my making an idol out of wanting people to like me makes me filthy before God. Your sin makes you filthy before God. And so what does God say? Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. 
Now, how do you do that? I mean, not just wash yourself, make yourself clean, but he says, stop doing evil, learn to do good. Okay, so, so how do you do that? You don't do that by works, namely gritting your teeth. Okay, I'll write a check. <laughs> Done, all right. You don't do that by works, gritting your teeth. You do it by faith. That's taught all through Isaiah, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. In other words, what you do is you come directly to to God. And and now we know that God is even more clearly revealed through Jesus. So I'm going to talk about coming to Jesus. We come directly to Jesus Christ. This is the first step in washing and make yourself clean. We come to Jesus. It's not works, willpower, teeth gritted. It's faith. Jesus, I come to you. I'm, I'm going to turn from whatever else I've been trusting for my security and my satisfaction. And I'm coming to you right now. Now, see, here's the deal. You don't need to stop sinning before you can come to Jesus. You only can stop sinning by coming to Jesus. You come to him as you are, and you just say, I trust you. I trust your death on the cross. I repent before you for this sin. Forgive me. I trust you right now to forgive me. And he will forgive you. You're coming to him as you are. You're repentant. You're saying, help me. I want to change. This is so strong in my heart. Free me. But you start off saying, forgive me. He will forgive you. Then you, so you trust him to forgive you. Then you trust him to clothe you in his sinlessness. And he will clothe you with his sinlessness. So at that moment, as you're trusting him, you're repenting, you are completely accepted by God. You are seen as sinless because you're clothed with Jesus' sinlessness. So you're forgiven through the cross. You're clothed with Jesus' sinlessness. You trust him for that. And then you trust him to change you. Jesus, change me. Change me. I trust you to change me. I'm coming to you as I am. Change me. And then you use the means of grace that he's given, like prayer and the scriptures. And you say, now Jesus, show me who you are. Because I'm loving money. I'm loving applause right now. I'm, I'm angry at this person. I'm thinking what they've cost me is more important than knowing you. So I'm not seeing things right. Help me to see. And as you go after the scriptures, as you pray and do battle in the word of God, Jesus will bring the Holy Spirit upon you and your heart will change. And you will love Jesus more than money. You will love Jesus more than what this person cost you so you'll be able to forgive them. You'll be able to love knowing Jesus more than the praise of man. When you come to Jesus as you are, trusting him to forgive you, trusting him to clothe you with his perfect righteousness, trusting him to change you, using the means of grace, he will start to change you. And then you rise up and you start giving to the poor and forgiving that person, leading your family, loving your wife, caring for your kids, turning off the porn. You change because your heart is being changed. Now, do you feel the difference between works, which is I'm going to grit my teeth and turn off the porn on the one hand, and faith, Jesus, forgive me. I'm forgiven through the cross. Clothe me with your righteousness. I'm clothed. The Father loves me. I'm clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. Change me. The word, look at your beauty. Look at your splendor. How could I pursue wrong sexual desires? Forgive me. I want you as my treasure. I want you as my prize. Do you see the difference between the two? Not works. Faith. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Now you're thinking, Really? Can I really be like clean, clean, so that God looks at me as clean? Yes. Look at verse 18. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlets, okay, dark, stained scarlets, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Now, there's some of you here who especially need to hear that today. You are keenly feeling how your sins are as scarlets, filthy, stained. You're feeling it. You're feeling it. You're not feeling that it's possible for you to be, this is amazing, white as snow. God will do that for you, not by you becoming good first, but by you simply, that's right, this is the work side, but by you coming to Jesus in faith repenting, trusting his forgiveness, trusting his clothing you with his, his snow-white righteousness and goodness, and then he will start to change your heart. Now, without getting too complicated, there's, there's three phases. So I'll throw this out. Three aspects of becoming white as snow. First of all, the moment you turn to Jesus in faith, with your heart as it is, you, you, you're not sinless by any stretch of the imagination, but you just come to Jesus as you are, you're clothed with his perfect righteousness through faith alone. And God accepts you in Christ, okay? That's the first phase. Second phase, if you come to Jesus in faith, really meaning it, his power will start to change you. And you will really start to become more and more white as snow. More and more and more and more and more. But in this life, you'll never become sinless. Okay, so remember that the first phase, though, is that you're, you're, you're spotless, you're white as snow in Jesus because you're trusting him and you're clothed with his perfect goodness and righteousness so God sees you as perfectly white. That's where it starts. And then when you trust Jesus, his power will go to work and you're getting wider, really wider, really wider, really wider, really wider. And then the third phase is what? When Jesus comes back. Right, You are transformed, and you will never turn from the 100,000 carat diamond again in any way. So each of these phases of becoming white as snow is crucial. Now, any questions about that? I just want to throw it out there because it's, it's so crucial that no one leave here thinking, okay, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to start being good, and I, just, I need more willpower, and I need more discipline because I want to be white as snow. It's really important, the pastor said. You're totally missing what I'm saying if, if you're walking away with that. You, this is the work side. That's right. This is the faith side over here. You come to Jesus. And you repent. I trust you to forgive me. And you're forgiven. I trust you to clothe me in your perfect righteousness. And you're clothed. I trust you to change me. And I'm going to start to use the means of grace. And he will start to change you. And then when he comes back, you'll become perfectly white as snow. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what Isaiah is calling you to do. You've got areas of sin. I would guess all of you in which you need to do this. There may be an area of sin in your life that's been going on for a long time. It's just been under the surface and you've rationalized it and covered it and and justified it. And and the Holy Spirit now is saying there's a tumor. Here's the MRI. Here's the results of the MRI. There's a tumor there and it's malignant. But the great physician says it's operable through Jesus. And so I want to call you today. Dale's got a quick question. My answer to that is no, okay, but this, and, and just explain. If you're relying on your willpower and your discipline to change, I mean, I could write a check, say, okay, I'll write a check. Is God pleased with that check? No. Is God my satisfaction? Am I glorifying him in this? Do I really care about the people? 
the way I'm describing works, no. Okay, if it's just my teeth-gritted mechanical obedience, no. This is very different, okay? This is where you come to the Lord Jesus. It's faith. That's teeth-gritted mechanical works obedience. This is faith. Jesus, I'm repenting before you. I want my heart changed. I don't really care about the poor. I'm feeling very insecure about giving money away. Forgive me. He forgives me. Clothe me in your perfect righteousness. He clothes me. God's for me because I'm clothed with Jesus' righteousness. And then his power will go to work and start to change me. And I shall open up the word. Help me to see who you are so I'm secure in you, so I'm satisfied in you, so I, I'm free to give because you're my treasure. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. One more, yeah. Yes, yeah, so da- great question, Dave. We should get mics going here, by the way. But anyway, um, it sounds like the first action is to wash yourself. Right? Do you see that? And it does. And it is. The question is, how? How do you wash yourself? And see, washing doesn't just mean my hand is writing a check. Washing means my heart is changed. And how do you get your heart changed? So you trust Jesus as your security and satisfaction, and from a heart of love and compassion you're giving. How do you do that? There's only one way. You gotta come to Him. You gotta be forgiven first. Right? You gotta know that you're accepted by God. He is for you. You feel the security of Him being for you. You feel the, the, the fullness and the pleasure of knowing Him and trusting Him. You know that your future financially is set. And then your heart is changed and you give. So, don't, don't hear me as saying, so just, okay, so wash yourself like, wait for God to wash you. Because Pastor Steve said, don't do anything. He said, just wait. Okay, you're not saying I said that, but don't anybody think I said that. Do something. Wash yourself. How? By repenting and coming before Jesus and experiencing his forgiveness, experiencing the, the, the security of knowing you're clothed with his righteousness. And then as you see God as for you in Christ, you'll feel more secure. Your satisfaction in him will grow. I'm repeating myself a lot, but are you getting this? Okay. I hope so. One more. Yes, yeah, so the first step is trusting that he's right. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because he is right. He is. And let me just tell you, this process, um, this, isn't, this happens when you're saved. And this would maybe happen 20 minutes after you were saved, and like a day after you were saved, and then like two days, right? I mean, this, this is, I, I'll go through this process at least once a day, if I'm doing well with the Lord. So this is, this is what we do all the time. We're always back before the Lord, trusting Him, repenting, receiving His forgiveness, knowing we're clothed in His righteousness, asking Him to change us, trusting that He will, looking at who He is, praying so that we see it and feel it, our hearts are changed, and then embarking on the path of obedience, knowing that as we do that, He'll keep changing our hearts. It's not. It's, in other words, I'm bringing that into the text here because we all have a tendency in, 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 in terms of uh, our sinfulness to think that we need to, that we in our own willpower can do these things. And if I do them, then God's going to like, I'm going to earn favor before God. And so I can go and make myself good and then God will like me. We all kind of have, at least I think most all of us have that tendency in our mind. Now that is so foreign to the biblical worldview, that's the farthest thing from what Isaiah is saying. And when we keep reading through Isaiah, we'll see where he brings these things in that I'm talking about. Okay?
you can't repent right. How many feel like you can't repent right? Yes, yes. See, this is so important to bring this up because we come to Jesus as we are. We never have anything that recommends us or that warrants his favor. Our repentance is like filthy rags before him. My best moments, he's like, no, he's not. He's like this. Not because they're all that good, but because of the cross, okay? So this is so important for us to think. I mean, when I come and I repent before him, is my heart 100% pure? No. Am I sinless at the point? No. Even my repentance is shot through with sin. If you guys could see my heart, I mean, it's not a pretty picture. But the cross is there because that's who we are. And the cross says, anyone who wills may come. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We come as we are, and we say, I'm here repenting, but you know my heart's not perfectly right, but I'm here, help me. And he will move in on you, and he will help you. Okay? Now, real quick, and I'm going to let you, there's two reasons uh, Isaiah gives us for why we should do this. Let me read them. I'm not going to elaborate on them, but I want to just help you feel them. First is because, and this is in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he gives Israel, here's why you should wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Two reasons. One, because at the end of history, God will cause all the nations to repent and turn to him, and the world will be free from war and full of peace forever. Lots that I could say about that, but I'm not going to for the sake of time. But this is where history is headed. This is the end game. It's going to happen. And if you wash yourself and make yourselves clean by faith through the cross, trusting in Jesus, you'll be part of this group. And the new heavens and the new earth where swords are beat into plowshares, as he says in verse 4, and everlasting peace, that will be your eternal destiny. Okay? But if you hold to your idols, if you don't wash yourself and make yourself clean, there's a whole other destiny, and that's the rest of chapter 2. At the end of history, God will pour out his wrath on all those who proudly held to their idols. That's why I want to myself bring my idols before the Lord. And I've, I've been doing that this week with this passage. And that's why I want to urge you to bring your idols before the Lord and lay them at his feet today and repent over them today. Church, we need to do this. Is, is this a pattern of, uh, that you have? And It needs to be. And some of you, there may be something that you've known you've needed to deal with for a long time, and this is the time. This is the time. God, with love in his heart and compassion for you and holding out forgiveness and being clothed in righteousness, says, wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Learn to do good. Cease doing evil. That's what he's calling you to do. What an amazing salvation, Jesus, you've given to us. That you would welcome us to come in our sin. And that as we ask you for help, as we repent as best we can, you meet us, you forgive us, you clothe us in your white as snow sinlessness. You start to change us. You show us who you are. You satisfy us. You secure us in your love. You free us from sin by your power. Lord, we thank you. 
thank you for this word. Thank you for having Isaiah write this 2,700 years ago so that we could receive endurance and encouragement and hope today. So, Lord, strengthen us. Wash us as you promised. Change our hearts, Lord. We want to move ahead. We want to cease doing evil and learn to do good. Thank you that by your grace, through faith, we will be able to do that. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.